Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. I'm Troy Ball, and my book is Pure Heart, A Spirited Tale of Grace, Grit, and Whiskey. I love that you say you found your life's purpose in trying. Give us a little background on White Whiskey, a.k.a. White Lightning, a.k.a. Mountain Dew, a.k.a. Moonshine. (laughs) Well, first of all, I had never even really heard of Moonshine because I grew up in Texas. And it wasn't until we moved to Asheville, North Carolina, that I was introduced to it. I mean, legitimate, not legitimately, illegitimately <laughs> introduced to it, I should say. Um, but I got my uh, first sample of moonshine uh, when we moved here to the mountains. And it was terrible. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? I'm not going to drink this because <laughs> it burned. It was, you know, it, it was just it was just not something that was pleasant to drink. And, you know, after a while, I finally told these old men who were bringing me the jars of moonshine, I said, you know, I just don't like this stuff. Don't, I, don't waste it on me. Give it to somebody else who, who might enjoy it. And um, that was when I found out that uh, the good kind of whiskey was kept at home and not given away. Hey, did you know that? No, I, I didn't. Mean, it's a, it, yeah, it's, a, it's, a interesting, it's an interesting thing. It, they finally, after months and months, they told me, they said, Troy, you know, the keeper whiskey, the best whiskey, is is kept. It's not it's not sold in a fast car down the road. It's kept to enjoy. And I was like, well, if you ever get a jar of that, I would be curious to taste it. I I can't imagine that it's uh, much different. Well, I was quite shocked when <laughs> when finally four months later I get a jar of this really well made white whiskey or moonshine, and um and it was smooth and it didn't have that rubbing alcohol smell to it, and it didn't burn your mouth when you took a sip. It was fascinating. That sort of set me on this adventure of trying to figure out, could I learn to make it? And if I could, could I bring it to market? My thinking was, the in America, we didn't have a white whiskey on the market that was really well-made and handcrafted. And and if we had one, my gosh, we could be drinking American cocktails. We could be drinking American cocktails made with a white spirit instead of Russian cocktails or Mexican cocktails. So it just seemed like we were there was a hole in the in the market there, and I thought maybe I could fill it. <laughs> what does the term pure heart mean? Well, that's interesting. The that. The title of the book, Pure Heart, really comes from both my life story with my son and then from making whiskey. When you're doing a whiskey distillation um, and you first start boiling the mash, uh, the vapors that come off the mash at the beginning are called the heads. And those heads contain acetone, like fingernail polish remover and aldehydes and methanol, many things that give you headaches. And so what we do is we capture 100% of the heads. We don't just say, oh, we'll take 1% or 2%. We are absolutely positive that we are out of the heads before we start capturing the pure heart of the distillation. And that at that point, the whiskey smells divine. It'll make your mouth water when you smell the distillate coming off the still. And, uh, it, you know, it's just a beautiful part of the distillation. Towards the very end of the distillation, 
you start producing fusel alcohols, and this happens at higher temperatures. Your your big pot, uh, basically, you're, we're using a pot still. It gets hotter as the distillation goes on, and those fusel alcohols change the nose of the distillate. So if you're if you're careful and pay attention, you'll realize that all of a sudden the nose, the smell, has changed, and that smell is indicative of fusel alcohols now being produced, which are oily and really dirty. And um, the nose can go from this beautiful, like, fruity, um, luscious kind of nose to one that's, like, musty and old socks. You know, just really um, terrible. So the pure hearts are just right in the middle of the distillation, and that's all that we capture to make Troy and Sons whiskey. This book is really two stories, your life as a dedicated mother and wife and your life as an entrepreneur. Talk a little bit about your sons and the challenges and the inspiration that you got from them to find your passion. Well, you know, um, like many women today and, and of my generation, I went to college. I was the first uh, in my in my generation in my family to go to college and graduate. And I was kind of an overachiever and planned to, you know, be a businesswoman and, and do things in my life. And I, I got married and had my first son. And at six months of age, it became clear that he was uh, not thriving. You know, he wasn't developing strength and he couldn't sit up and he really couldn't hold his head up well. And by nine months of age, the doctor's um, we're very convinced there was something wrong with him, and I was pretty much in denial and uh, because I just couldn't get my head around that. And um, so they thought he, his condition was birth-related. And so two years later, I have um, his brother, and he is sent home healthy and normal, just like uh, Marshall was. And at four or five months of age, he develops a seizure disorder just like his brother had. And so now it has become clear that I've got two children who have an undiagnosed genetic disorder. And it was just life-changing, as you can imagine, um, because now I had to tell myself and convince myself that this was my job. You know, it was my job to try to figure out how to help these boys, how to give them opportunities and, and solve the problems that they had in their lives and and just to keep them alive was a challenge. Uh, They were very medically fragile. And I mean, I would, there were days I was in the doctor's office three days a week for months at a time. And this went on for years and years. And it was um, challenging. You know, you're uh, an entrepreneurial spirited woman yourself. And, and when you all of a sudden look at your friends and they're moving on with their lives and they're becoming um, business people or chefs or judges or doctors. And and you're feeling like you're totally trapped because you need to take care of these boys and you want to, you love them to death. Right. But you also don't have the option of, of doing anything else because their care is 24 hours a day. And, and at that point in our lives, I certainly couldn't afford to pay for people to help me, um, care for the boys. So it was it was a, a huge uh, undertaking. And I was told they wouldn't live past the age of 10. And uh, today they're 30 and 28. Can you believe it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had to just tell myself. And what was kind of fascinating 
is when I was about 40, I happened to meet Ann Richards, who was at that time governor of Texas. And one of my girlfriends mentions to me in passing that Ann Richards didn't get involved in politics until she was 50 years old. And I was like, wow, are you kidding me? She enters politics at 50, and by 60, she's governor of Texas. But it was inspiring to me because that was the first, you know, person I had met who had basically stepped into some sort of field as a 50-year-old and been able to achieve something. And, um, and so that gave me some hope, honestly. I'm, very, I'm really sincere about this. I, I said, you know what? If she could do it, I can do it. I'm just going to have to be patient. Well, years ago, you read an article that said the people who are lucky are people who make connections. And I mm-hmm. think the pivotal connection for you was Forrest Jarrett. Yes, Forrest was amazing because he, he's the one who first started bring, bringing me the moonshine and uh, sharing the stories with me. And, um, and then when I decided I needed to learn how to make it after he brought me that keeper jar of moonshine, um, he's, the, of course, the first call I made was back to Forrest to try to talk him into finding someone who could teach me how to make moonshine. And he went on and on. He's, he's, a, he's bigger than life, his character. I mean, I hope that came through in Pure Heart because his expressions are just something like you've never heard before. I mean, he's so funny and clever with words and, and dear. And he's just like, Troy, there is no way in hell anyone is going to talk to you about how they make whiskey. We don't talk about where it comes from. <laughs> we, don't, we don't even acknowledge who's doing the cooking. <laughs> so I said, Forrest, look, I'll sign an NDA. You can blindfold me, <laughs> whatever we need to do to get me there. <laughs> but I promise you, I will not disclose who they are and where they live. I just need to figure out, can I learn how to make this whiskey? <laughs> so that was the beginning of my, of my journey. You looked like the, the junior leaguer with the, the pearls and he, <laughs> and he was like the, the rough mountain guy, but I feel like you had more in common than mm-hmm. it looked from the outside. Absolutely. You know, when I was a kid, I was a horse girl, I, you know, rode horses and showed horses and, and when we were in, when I was maybe a freshman in high school, we moved out to a small, small town outside of Houston, Texas, um, where, you know, my graduating class had 77 kids in it. And I did everything on, on the farm. My dad treated me always just as if I were, were the first son. And he'd say, Troy, we got to build some fences today. Come on, you got to get going. It'd be seven in the morning on a Saturday, and I'd be dragging myself out of bed, and I'd be operating tractors with post hole diggers and stretching bob wire, or we'd be building, you know, some sort of a platform somewhere, or we'd be feeding hay to cattle and all sorts of things. So I, I always was very comfortable getting dirty, doing things. I didn't, you know, it was just part of what I did my, most of my life uh, with my father. I just had to figure out how to problem solve things. Now, how did you come up with the recipe? Talk about the process of finding the perfect taste between the heads Mm -hmm. and the tails. When we were in this little barn for almost a year out there in Old Fort on the farm, we basically did test distillations, just like if you were cooking any any recipe, if you were creating a recipe to make a, a particular type of cake or stew or whatever, soup, we would do test 
distillations and test fermentations. So we would test white corn against yellow corn because, you know, those are very different kinds of corn, right? We would test different milling techniques. Did it matter if we had finely ground the corn versus um, using a, just a coarse grinding of the corn? Did it affect the flavor? If we used a sugar or no sugar, if we used a wild yeast versus a bought yeast, um, we also sprouted grain um, on site and then tumbled it and threw it into the fermentations like making a malted whiskey. So we just experimented for a year out there with with each distillation, and I kept very meticulous notes and notebooks. And the, the John McIntyre, who also is a, a big character in the book, Pure Heart, he um, was just so entertained by me because I was very tidy and neat. And I would have my little folding plastic table that I would set up with my computer and my notebooks. And he was a regular like um, collector of everything. I mean, there was just junk everywhere because you never knew when you'd need something on these farms, right? And I was always after him to straighten up or tidy up or throw away. And he'd say, Troy, no, no, we can't throw that away. We might need it. And sure enough, you know, when we needed uh, to try to figure out a way to warm our little distillery there, I'd say, John, we've got to do something. It's like 30 degrees in this building, and, and, and there's no way we could keep the mash fermenting at, at those cold temperatures. And he said, well, you know, I have an old heater out in the back of the other building over there. Let me let me go find that. And, he, you know, he could scrounge up anything off of his own property. We had a big, we had a fun, wonderful time there. It was great. Uh, but the, the recipes over time, you know, were perfected right there in that little, in that little barn. And he was growing a Crooked Creek corn, which was an old heirloom variety corn that had been grown on their family farm since the mid-1800s. And um, we were testing this heirloom corn against commercial corns, trying to, you know, validate that the flavor was um, richer and and more beautiful. And, and so it was all uh, just a work in, in progress. But sadly, when you do a recipe... Uh, to make whiskey, it takes, you know, a week to 10 days before you get to taste it because <laughs> you have to cook the mash and, and uh, boil it and, and then lower the temperature and put it into fermentation barrels and let it work in the fermentation barrels for, you know, a week sometimes. Well, originally, we were using wild yeast because one of the old men had used wild yeast uh, to make his whiskey. Basically, you know, there's just wild yeast in the air, and if you were to set out a a, a barrel that is you've cooked any kind of grain, it just lands um, in it? it. It just lands in it, and slowly over time, huh. you'll you'll watch, and in a week or so, all of a sudden, you'll see little bubbles coming up from that from that barrel, um, and then the next thing you know, it'll be gently boiling. And I thought, this is too slow. We can't, this won't, we'll never make a viable business if we're sitting around here waiting on wild yeast. So eventually I went and started a, a buying yeast. The Crooked Creek corn, do you think the higher fat content makes for a better whiskey with that corn? I think, I think so. I think that that corn gives the whiskey a lovely rich richness. You know, the what do they say? Uh, flavors in the fat, right? Yep. And and this is the highest fat corn tent that 
the researcher over at the University of Tennessee had ever seen in a corn. So I believe it does give the whiskey a, a beautiful, um, uh, luscious kind of a flavor that you wouldn't normally get. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I watched Good. the Popcorn Sutton documentary. Oh uh-huh. my gosh, he was a character, and oh my gosh, <laughs> he was. That was back-breaking work. Has it gotten yeah. easier? Well, the in the way he was doing it was basically the way we did it in the little distillery out there in Old Fort. It was all you know. We were, I mean, lugging, you know buckets full of mash. We didn't have any pumps and we didn't have ways to clean things easily. It was very difficult. But today, you know, our distillery is in located in Asheville now. And, uh, you know, we, we are able to transfer mash from the mash cooker over to the fermenters and then to the still just all by, by pumps and hoses. And so life is much simpler. Thank goodness. <laughs> but popcorn was a mess. And, you know, I thought, he had gotten arrested um, for making moonshine. No, but but the reason he went was sent back to jail that last time was because he had he was a felon. Yeah, and he wasn't supposed to have firearms. And he was at some little demonstration at a fairgrounds or something, a little moonshine demonstration, showing people how a still worked, and and a um, uh, ATF person sort of befriended him and they, and he ends up showing this guy that he's got all these firearms oh, and that's no. why he was arrested. Uh huh. So anyway, the story's story's always not exactly what, <laughs> what people think, but, but he was kind of a mess that, you know, it wasn't like it was um, set. It was destined to be a quality product. It was, it was always just made in a hurry and get it out, out the door so that was the problem. See, when Prohibition came around and moonshine making, or actually it was whiskey making prior to that, right? It started to become, it used the name moonshine during Prohibition because of people needing to cook at night so that their fires would not be detected. And um, it was kind of at that time that whiskey went downhill because because now it was illegal to make it, um, people were in a hurry, and they just were trying to mass produce lots of whiskey because there was such a demand for it. You couldn't buy it anywhere, and you couldn't buy it legally. So that's when the quality of whiskey making diminished. Prior to that, people were probably making better quality whiskeys because they were just making it for themselves. There wasn't this big demand in a way to make easy money by making whiskey to sell. So mm-hmm. now you mm-hmm. have perfected it. Um, we, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy because we've won, you know, gold medals with our whiskeys. We are, um, we've been rated as high as 95 points with our whiskeys. So I feel like we're making very high quality products that I'm, that I'm really proud of. I think Troy and Sons are beautiful whiskeys, and and they're also um, a feminine style whiskeys. They're they're lovely and softer, easier to drink because they're just made from the pure hearts. 
Last night I made your favorite cocktail recipe that's on page seven, and it was really, uh-huh. really smooth. And I don't drink whiskey, uh-huh. but it was really, really smooth. Uh-huh. Now, oh. I, I was wondering, um, in this cocktail, do you chill the moonshine or do you just drink it room temperature? You can chill it. Uh, with that, I would I would probably put it on the rocks. You know, did you make the um, the Harvest Moon Margarita? Which one did you make? Yes, it's the orange juice and, and the and lime the and the simple syrup. Yes, yes. Um, I put that on the rocks, so I so the whiskey does not have to be chilled. But but you can certainly keep it in the freezer and just pour it on, pour it and uh, you know, and use it chilled just like you could a vodka. That that's it. That's a recipe they use at Disney. Oh, really? At, at the Wilderness Lodge. Yes. Uh huh. It's a very very popular recipe there. I do want to mention, in 2010, you were the first woman licensed in the state of North Carolina and the fourth in the entire United States. That's incredible. You know what I realized? What I realized later is that the other um, three women who had licensed distilleries uh, before me, they were not making whiskey. They were making, uh, one was making, I believe, a vodka, and the other was making a gin. And I think the third was making maybe a tequila or something. You know, she was importing something. But, um, yeah, so I think I was the first woman in modern times to have a licensed distillery with the goal to make whiskey. (laughs) Where can we buy Troy and Sons whiskey, and where can we find you on the web? If you go to TroyandSons.com, you can um, click buy a bottle there, and it will route you to a retailer that... Um, can ship bottles to you if by chance uh, we're not in a state that you're in. Also, at Asheville Distilling Company, you know, you can come in and take a tour of the distillery on Fridays and Saturdays, and we love for people to come by. When they're at the distillery, they can taste the whiskeys. That's fun, too. And, of course, I'm doing my book tour right now. So on the book tour, in many locations, we're actually um, pouring samples of the whiskey, too. So it's a, it's a, it's a spirited book tour. <laughs> Wonderful. Gosh, there's so much more we could cover, including Chris Martin from Coldplay, but I encourage everyone to buy this incredible book. It's a tale of love, hope, and persistence. Thank you, Troy, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much. Take care.